Thanks and welcome to this Buck Halter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. My name is Dylan Wiseman. I'm the co-chair of the firm's Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Practice Group. I've been practicing in this area for 24 years. Hello, my name is Peter Bales. I am a senior counsel at Buckalter's San Francisco office in the Trade Secret and Litigation Group. Hello, my name is Brandon Carr, and I'm an attorney in the litigation group as well as the Trade Secret and Employee Mobility Group. So we're here today in our San Francisco office, and we're fortunate enough to have Julie Lewis, who is one of the founders of Digital Mountain, which is an e-discovery and computer forensics firm that's located in the South Bay. Uh, Julie, you happen to be our first guest that we've had at our podcast, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Today, This is um, we're talking about computer forensics, and I think it's really important to distinguish computer forensics from e-discovery. A lot of folks kind of lump the two together, but I really want to focus today on computer forensics, which isn't necessarily the collection of information uh, that's stored electronically. It's It's the analysis and the review of information that may show that um, data has gone missing from a particular employer's computers. So uh, with that, the first part of this podcast, this two episodes, we're going to focus in on laptops and desktops. And with that, I want to uh, turn over to Julie to explain to us the the fundamental difference between e-discovery and computer forensics. Dylan, that's a really good question that has been asked to me over a decade. Um, So as you look at e-discovery, it's generally dealing with active data. We're going through and we're looking at deleted data. It could be logs, um, such as, or going through what's called Slack space, which we're getting a little bit more um, for the audience. Um, So, and then you end up with a report on our findings. What was, for example, a lot of what we work on is intellectual property matters. So what was, what was taken, what was shifted to a cloud, uh, environment, what was, you know, where, where was a thumb drive plugged in? Um, what, what is sitting in, in, in deleted, uh, deleted logs. So I really want to emphasize as well that computer forensics has grown up significantly over the last 15 to 20 years. And when I first started doing this kind of work, it was very primitive. And now it's, uh, just stunning about what you can do and what you can't do and what you what information can be recovered. But I also want to emphasize that we're here in February 2020 and that whatever we talk about today as being the limits on forensic uh, tools that are available may change in the next three or four or five months. And so it's important, at least for now, to have this kind of discussion about what is the state of the techno- technology that as far as your efforts to review what happened and what information went missing. So let me uh, turn this over to uh, to Peter Bales with our first one of our first questions. Julie, in the situation where a, a company has a red flag, something comes up, an employee all of a sudden leaves in the middle of the night, no word, and that employee starts up a competing business down the street. And in that situation, what should do you recommend an employer or a company do outside the normal means of preserving documents and evidence in that case to ensure that 
before they hand this over to you as an expert, that the evidence is gonna be there for you to evaluate. So the, the first thing we recommend, and this doesn't apply to cyber breach cases, which is what we also work on, is shutting down the computer because if the employee still has a log me in account or otherwise and the computer's on, they can still access that computer and get into the servers at, assuming there's a, you know, it's not a cloud environment uh, and access data that they shouldn't have access to or intellectual property uh, and going on a, you know, helping themselves mission. Um, so that's that's the first thing. Um, and then bringing a company like ours in to do the forensics imaging if they don't have in properly internally trained I, I, IT people uh, on the forensics process. Thank you. Uh, I think Brandon has a question following up on that. Uh, Julie, what type of information can be recovered about the use of USB devices? Can you show what files were copied to the USB device? So when it comes to USB devices, think of them as a stomach uh, if you're dealing with a body. And the computer is the brain, and the USB device is just the stomach. So there's files on there, but there'd be no, without going to the laptop or desktop, you won't know how those files got there. And so you have to trace that back. Um, With thumb drives, there can be deleted data uh, and files to be recovered. So that process, and a lot of times those smoking guns have been deleted off of a a thumb drive. Um, On thumb drives, the other really important thing is capturing what's called the volume serial number. And without getting too technical, it's a unique um, identifier on that. And so for us to map back that that thumb drive is the same thumb drive that was plugged into a laptop, that volume serial number is essential. And so getting that documented in the imaging process. And so that's where having those good experts that, that know what to do and how to properly document really comes into play. Uh, Julie, you've used the term imaging. Can you explain to us uh, particularly what you mean by imaging? Yeah, so, so typically it's grabbing every bit from the computer um, and it's not the same as backup because when you do a backup, that might not be every, every single bit. Julie, we talked about the do's, what to do in that red flag situation. What about the don'ts? For our clients out there that are run into this situation and before they contact the expert, what sh- do you recommend they should not do? What's the worst thing they could do in the situation where we're trying to preserve evidence? Oh, yeah. As Dylan knows, there's so many war stories out there throughout the years because he's also been doing this a long time. Um, the, the number one thing that we see is that IT gets excited and they, they grab the computer and they start stomping on the digital evidence. And that makes it much harder for... Um, us computer forensics folks to come in and do our analysis because then we're trying to figure out what was IT, what was the company um, versus what was the custodian of the computer that we're conducting the investigation on. Um, Second thing that I've seen, and this is happening more and more, is uh, we, for example, were trying to image a computer um, this past month and the employer, the, the decryption password for the computer, which we needed, um, the employee had set up, not the employer. Um, and they were, you know, being out headquartered in the Silicon Valley, we see a lot of companies that are startups and then they grow very fast. And, you know, and there, there's a lot of unicorns. And um, that employee who had parted would not give up his password because the same password was used across all his financial accounts. 
So the computer had to be taken to that employee, get the password changed, and then we were able to image the computer. But so, so not, you know, not strong password management. Um, the other thing we've seen is employees put encryption, their own encryption software. So even though there's been um, uh, encryption on a computer, there's an extra layer that the employee controls and the employer can't get access to their own data. So those may be more one-offs, but they're, they're, they're still happening out there. Um, so having proper administrative control over your computer so those programs cannot be loaded is really key up front. I want to speak to the fact that um, the company's very well-intentioned IT professionals can absolutely make a dog's breakfast out of a device. And I've seen that on so many occasions where uh, everybody wants to pay to play Super Sleuth and to try to utilize whatever skills they think they have. IT professionals in a work environment are usually great about making sure the company's networks work properly. They don't understand computer forensics. And from a legal standpoint, it creates a huge problem for us because I've had situations where we've had great cases go completely sideways because the well-intentioned IT folks got in and muddied things up. Separately, I've had cases where much further down the road, the the uh, device makes its way to the forensics professional and they can't tell if it was the company's IT folks or the departing employee that may have copied or opened files and these type of things. So I think that the key message that really should come out is just shut it all down and leave the analysis work to the professionals. Yeah, again, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, turning off the laptop and just, you know, until we get there to image it is really critical. What type of deleted information can typically be recovered? Yeah, so it, it, it depends. Um, so when you're dealing with traditional laptops and desktops, you're dealing with file systems. And so think of it kind of like your office. There's a waste bucket and that would be the recycle bin. And those are really easy to retrieve from examiners um, and we there's references to the file index. Um, if you once it goes out to the garbage yard, um, that's kind of the analogies to unallocated space, um, not to get too technical. And then that could be completely decoupled from a file index. So if you think of back to the library days, there's a Dewey Decimal System library card that tells you that there's books out on the shelf. Those entries may be all deleted, but we may still have access to those books that have been thrown out and are now at the, the garbage yard. So that's when we get pretty technical and we do things like data carving of files. Um, and you know that's where you get into really expensive computer forensics analysis because that requires... Uh, a, a lot more work. What information uh, can be recovered if the device is wiped? So about half the time we hear the device has been wiped. And um, if it's been wiped, there's really nothing that we can get out of the device. Um, but if it has been reformatted, but not wiped, then we can sometimes go into unallocated space and rebuild what was there previously. Um, and so that's key. And so whenever we hear that a device has been wiped, we always want to just take a quick look-see at it to see if there's anything that can be recovered. Um, if it is in fact wiped, again, you know, I know that there's the, the seven, seven passes for the Department of Defense, but one does a pretty good job. So I, I, I wouldn't 
suspect that anyone can get anything back. So when we talk about wiping, we're talking about where they actually use a wiping tool yes. to eradicate the information. At that point, it's very difficult to recover. Yes. Uh, as opposed to they just reset it to factory settings. Well, so with phones, yeah, and, and, and Matt, it, it would be a, a factory reset. And, and with that, there's nothing we can recover. So typically at that point, the discussion goes to what cloud backups exist or local backups to be able to retrieve the data. So, Julie, what do you consider to be the most important skills of a forensics technician that's reviewing desktop and laptop devices? Yeah, this is my favorite question because I've been interviewing people for 17 years. Um, and, and when I started, I was one of 300 certified forensics examiners across the country. So this industry has changed completely. Um, so the I like to think of things in, in three different parts when we look at computer forensics. One is the data collection step, one is the analysis, and then the third is expert witness services in court. And some examiners have all three, it's a very rare find. Um, so when we're looking at data collections, it's the ability to troubleshoot in the field uh, in, in, t in understanding how systems are created to be able to get data transferring faster. Cause sometimes we have a window of three hours and we have to get, we, we have to get the job done. Um, we look for somebody that's a lifelong learner because this industry is constantly changing. Technology is always changing. So your ability to adapt and to learn is really, really critical. Um, having the technical chops to, um, to be able to figure out a lot of different things. So they have to have some kind of deep technical background. Lastly, the investigative sniff, as I call it. So, you know, typically if we're brought in on the computer forensic side, something went wrong. So looking for those anomalies that you're seeing or patterns um, and being able to find, find the digital evidence at the end of the day. Julie, I have a question for our, our clients out there is, how can our clients help Digital Mountain do its job before you come on the scene? And the question I have is what everyday practices can they do to set themselves up for when that red flag does come up and they need to call in an expert for computer forensics? I think having ownership of your own devices um, is, is a big thing. Um, you know, and I know a lot of companies are letting employees own whatever they want, but the commingling of data gets really expensive. Where, where that employee that you really wanted and you recruited five, three years ago then all of a sudden leaves and you know it's all commingled with their personal tax records and everything else and that data divorce can be expensive. I, I agree and I've found in, in my practice that the contracts control at the end of the day and having strong contracts that provide and protect your company's data is something that's important to have. And I, I would agree and, and echo Julie's comments on bring your own devices. I think that hopefully that fad has started to go away, but from what I can tell, it's still ongoing. And for us as lawyers, it's so much more expensive and so much more difficult to get the information uh, from a departed employee when they own the device. So uh, one of the top uh, measures I would expect that employers can do 
for experts like you and for their to assist their legal team is to make sure they just own the devices. It's so much easier. We can grab them, we can get them imaged, we can analyze them as opposed to going through a very complex process where we had to have the employee turn over their device, it gets reviewed by a court-appointed uh, neutral, we have to go through a whole series of protocols. And uh, so with that, I think that it's, um, you know, I can't underscore it enough as far as making everyone's life easier is that uh, it would be great to be able to do away with bring your own devices in the workplace. Now, I know, Brandon, you have some uh, issues that you want to discuss about uh, forensics protocols. Yeah, I think it's always a good idea to enter into a forensic protocol agreement um, with the opposing counsel before you um, hire your forensic expert um, to avoid some costly disputes that can happen down the line um, when the forensic team is gathering the data. And I think... Uh, one of those tips is always to include a specific list of the devices to be searched. Um, and, you know, for companies to keep very detailed lists of the devices with the serial numbers, so you can include those in your uh, forensic protocol agreement. Um, you always want to include a time for turnover, uh, you know, five days to turn it over to the forensic team and how the turnover will be completed, if it's going to be um, by the forensic expert or if it's going to be um, in person. Um, and you always need to include a clause about passwords. Um, the passwords should be um, disabled for the most part, which makes the, the forensic work much easier. Um, and you may also wanna uh, include a clause that allows an initial report to be generated by uh, the forensic consultant just to see how many files there are and um, you know the registry analysis and, and the deletion so that you can then work with the client to figure out what needs to be searched. Um, and sometimes search terms are helpful for the forensic accountant or expert to come up with, um, you know, streamlined ways to get the data that you're looking for that'll help in the case. Um, and also uh, costs. You should talk about who will bear the costs for the, the forensic accounting early on so it's not a dispute down the line. And with that, I want to thank Julie Lewis from Digital Mountain for joining us today. And she'll also be featured in our next podcast where we're talking about mobile devices. So thanks again for joining the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employability podcast and follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.